Welcome to Moving Forward. I'm your host, Lynn Swanner. On this podcast, I'll interview forward-thinking Christian school leaders and educators on best practice, innovative approaches, and new opportunities in Christian education. This month's podcast features Rex Miller, author of the upcoming book, Whole, What Teachers Need to Help Students Thrive, which examines ways to create a healthy workplace in our schools. I talk with Rex about the negative impact of stress on our teachers, including at Christian schools, and how it also has implications for our students, school cultures, and our communities. Rex, it's great to chat with you. Thanks so much for being able to spend some time with us today. And it's great to talk with you about a new project that you're working on. So let's start off with that project on teacher and educator well-being. And can you tell us a little about what the project is and also how you became interested in it? The project is dealing with what we think a root cause is behind the poor performance in schools. It's the teacher stress, the fatigue, you know, we're labeling it as wounded warriors. We didn't start out the research discovering that. Uh, We started out the research looking at the disengagement problem and uh, wanting to go deeper. And that was a carryover from the first book project we did called Humanizing the Education Machine. So there was a lot of response to that book. And then in in the interim, I did research for the corporate world on workplace health and well-being. And the big flip for us there is that stress was the primary driver of all of the bad behavior all the negative behavior, the compensation of eating too much of the wrong kinds of food, uh, binge watching Netflix, you know, the sedentary part, uh, abusing alcohol and drugs and smoking, all of those things which are driving our health costs. When we started tracing it back, when we went to the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Ahmed Sud said the root cause is stress. So that was the work we did in the corporate world. That book comes out. Our education circle reads the book and says, let's look at this for our world. And I attended a teacher leadership workshop for, um, it was a company called Next Jump in New York. They're a high-tech firm. They make a higher profit margin per employee than Google does. With that surplus money, they provide free leadership training for teachers. I was invited As an observer, this group did a resiliency test for the teachers. The third day, the last day, the owner of the company came in and stopped and said, we need to have a talk. He said that this group of 20 is the least resilient group of all the groups they have ever worked with. And they work with the CIA and the Air Force and very high corporate 25 level companies. He said that 16 of you, we don't know how you get out of bed. The other four of you are so in startle mode. And what that translated to me immediately is fight or flight. And something was going on. And he said, this group needs recovery times a thousand. And then began to explain his theory as to what was going on. He said, we deal with organizations on two levels. They're either really good at taking care of themselves or taking care of others. Teachers are trained and their instincts are to take care of others. And because they take care of others first, that means they come last. 
So we labeled this the caregiver's dilemma. And we started looking at, is this maybe the root cause? And we've misdiagnosed disengagement for the last couple decades. Because when you look at burnout, fatigue, just physical exhaustion, you know, uh, um, secondary trauma, all the things teachers absorb, they're shock absorbers for all of the emotional complexity of the kids coming into the classroom. It looks like disengagement. So we tested that hypothesis and sure enough, it said, we've got to uncover this because if we're trying to treat an engagement issue, we're solving the wrong problem. And so that led to a core of about 130 educators, community leaders, experts. We took about two years, traveled to eight cities, looked at schools that were on the toughest edges of, you know, South Central LA, Corpus Christi, Atlanta. And what do you do to take care of the teachers? What we're finding out is there's nothing, nothing out there. And we felt like this was the beginning of an important conversation. Right. So you talked about the issue of disengagement for teachers. Can you talk a little bit more about the cost of not paying attention to well-being to the teachers, to the students, to the school? What price are we paying by not paying attention to this? Well, the, the teacher turnover rate is somewhere in the 25% range, 50% after five years are no longer teachers. We had so many teachers or former teachers in our group that were now consulting or working for an architectural firm and their stories are medically, I just had to get out. So that's one cost. The other cost, quite frankly, is that a stressed out teacher cannot produce an engaged student. And so when teachers bring that level of stress, and one British Columbia experiment was to take saliva swabs of teachers and their students. And what they found is that teachers that had higher levels of cortisol, that's the stress hormone, the students also had higher levels of stress as well. So what happens with stress, and we go into this deeply in the book, is that when stress gets to a certain level, uh, that's out of your limbic system, then it shuts off your frontal cortices. And that's where the learning and education starts. And there are all kinds of, it's like kindling in a forest. The stress of one person will trigger the stress in another. And we have so many stories of teachers where classroom management just goes out the window because there's this thing called a contagion effect. The book goes into what's actually happening in your central nervous system, uh, your autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic side of your autonomic nervous system, which is your your on button. It's your flight, fight, or perform side of the equation. And then the parasympathetic side is the calming recovery side. And what we find is that the sympathetic side shuts down the recovery side because it's overactive. And that puts you in a state of chronic stress. And over time, chronic stress leads to all kinds of health issues, all kinds of challenges in the classroom. And the phrase we heard more and more, the most common phrase we heard from teachers, kids are coming to school not ready to learn. They're not ready to learn. And all this social emotional stuff they're having to deal with, when you trace it back to its source, it's an unregulated central nervous system. 
you know, the stress level there, they call it dysregulation. And so before we can even begin to teach, we have to get children in a condition so that they're ready to learn, which means they have to be calm, they have to be safe, they have to be connected, all of those things that we need to do just before they can even lock in and and use their prefrontal cortex to actually learn. This really blew the doors open for us. We found it common over and over again. We started pursuing neuroscientists, clinical psychologists. I had my family brain scan to see, okay, so what does stress look like in a family? What does trauma look like? So the science is now there to tell us what we instinctively already know. We're overloaded by stress and we need to change the environment change the goal outcomes of school, create communities. We, we call it revillaging our schools again. Yeah. So you, you and I, you know, you spent a lot of time in different kinds of school settings, public and Christian charter schools, others. And it's been great to actually have some opportunities to go visit Christian schools with you and tour some different places. So my question is, Based on what you've observed, does this issue resonate in Christian schools as well? And are there any nuances, could be positive, could be negative, that are unique to Christian education as you visited those schools and as you've looked at the question of educator wellness? Well, I think on the plus side of things, they are less beholden to the test. Christian schools bring a character element into that. And what they're finding in the research is what a lot of people call 21st century skills, the non-cognitive or the social-emotional skills. Those are the ones that really last throughout life. So I think Christian schools have a leg up in that regard. I think they are at a disadvantage just because of sheer resources. If they were to charge what they need to charge to be on par with the quality level of teachers and the the variety of learning opportunities, most of their kids wouldn't be able to go to school. So to compensate, they pay teachers less. And there's a sense of even a deeper mission. Not only are they caregivers, but there's an eternal equation that's put into this that I think adds additional pressure. The Christian schools in general that I've visited and and a lot, a lot of them through the opportunities you provided too, they're less well-run. They don't have a strong network of best practices that they can follow. And a lot of times they are at the whims of the leadership, the elders, the senior, I mean, you and I know some colleagues recently where, one of the senior members decided, well, I don't like the direction we're going. So that headmaster's out, that whole athletic department has gone overnight on the whim. And so there's different kinds of pressure. And quite frankly, I think Christian education is at a higher risk than public education because they don't have the ability to marshal the community support or the resources to really uh, shore up what they're dealing with. If there are leaders listening to the podcast and they're thinking this is definitely an issue in our context or even not, but this is something they need to start paying attention to. How could somebody start taking those first steps in that direction? 
The first step is begin the conversation. Find a way to create a safe conversation. So many teachers feel like if they were to say that they're tired, admit they need help, or they may be over their head, that's a sign of weakness. So taking some of that stigma away and recognizing that everybody is dealing with something. I mean, you either have a family member that you're caretaking for, child with special needs, going through economic challenges, a wayward child that, you know, you hope will come back to the Lord. Everybody's dealing with something, but we never talk about it. As soon as we come into the, the institution, we put our game faces on. Hamilton High School in Holland, Michigan, participated in in that summit. And the children, the kids went back and said, we want to open this conversation. So they began with a survey of about 40 questions. They had 275 students fill out the survey. And then they went back and interviewed 38 of them and then divided them into five personas. And the personas were made of self-identified subgroups like athletes and people in club, the creatives and the band students, the AP students, the ones that come from complex families, uh, and then the, the children with learning differences. And they synthesized these down. And the goal was to really get an empathetic view of what stress looks like in the day in the life of these students to facilitate a broader conversation. That was so effective for them that it got the attention of their superintendent. They're taking the research to the board, and they're truly looking at things like changing the start time for school to push it back a little later for high school, looking at trying to coordinate teachers giving homework so that, you know, students don't get piled on with the same amount of homework and have to stay up till 1030 or 11 at night doing homework. So, it opened up a conversation. That would be the first step. Let's open up that conversation. And this may sound like a small thing, but make the break room a recovery space <laughs> instead of a dingy little room with sugar-filled food. We have a whole section in the book on looking at your school on the healthy nudges and the unhealthy nudges. It's a behavioral economics concept that the environments and the policies that you have give signals to behaviors of permission and behaviors that would constrain you. So get rid of the candy bowl at the reception station. Don't bring in pastries in your meetings. Don't drink sugary drinks. I mean, lots of basic health things move throughout the day. Your kids that might have ADHD, research shows that if you give them a standing height desk, that they will function as well as regular students, students who may be overweight or obese or have type 2 diabetes. Give them a standing desk because it regulates their blood sugar, and they perform at the same level as well. There are lots of low-hanging fruit that we can begin, but the first step is making it safe for us all to talk about this and look at what are the biggest drivers of stress in our particular place, because they're different in different communities. You know, the drivers of stress at the school in Philadelphia we visited are much different than the drivers of stress in San Jose at that school. So having that, doing some survey, creating conversation, and then looking at where can we start with the low-hanging fruit is the first step. 
There's a book that you're in the process of writing. And thank you for taking the time out, even in the midst of the last few weeks of, of writing to chat with us about it. Can you give us any specifics about the book title when it's coming out? What listeners yeah. will be able to look forward to if they want to learn more specifically from you and what you're learning through this project? The book is titled Whole. Um, what teachers need to help students thrive. It's going to be published through Josie Bass. We're expecting a February release date on it. And the two air, two places you can contact, one, you can contact me at rexmiller.com and ask any questions. Uh, a great start would be starting with Humanizing the Education Machine. That book's on Amazon, but we also have a website, Hope dot school no dot com at the end just hope dot school and you can see the videos that give highlights of the last book and we'll begin probably updating that website with new information september october time frame great so rex we've had a blog post from you in the past we'll definitely put links to the other times that we've had you interact with us in the podcast notes. And if it's all right, love to have you back either for another podcast or a blog post when the book comes out. Lynn, thank you. And uh, I just feel privileged being part of the work that you're doing because, you know, our hearts are in this next generation and helping children grow up that are faith-based, resilient, and ready to take on this world. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward. 